Welcome to the Millennial Way. Real millennials, real success. This is how they did it. Tailoring the next generation of leaders. I'm proud to be your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, what is up? I'm your host, Chase Coleman, and welcome back to the Millennial Way. I, I can't even express how excited I am. Today is the season finale of season five. That's right episode 10 and we have the lovely melanie stewart joining us today who we've heard from in the past and she's going to bring us a little bit farther along on her journey mel's continued to grow her career at google she's doing fantastic things she moved from ann arbor to chicago and her and her lovely wife mackenzie are they're just kicking ass in all ways shapes or forms so we're going to bring melanie on but before i get melanie on on the show today i did want to talk a little bit about some things i've done during quarantine which have really helped me stay sane, stay motivated, and also just feel overall okay. So the first thing is that I've been doing yoga and meditation, and I think these are one and the same. Now, you can meditate, you could also do yoga, but you could also do them together. And I'm lucky that one of my buddies, Sam, uh, actually works for Sean T. Uh, he's a huge like fitness guy. And I follow him on Instagram, and I've been watching all of his meditations, and it's been fantastic. And Sam has actually put yoga into it as well. And the fun thing about that is that I'm stretching because, you know, we're sitting down at a damn desk for what feels like 40 hours a day, or you're sitting on your couch or wherever it is, but you're most likely not all that active, particularly because we're inside and yoga has been helping me feel like loose. I'm stretching and it's also helped me feel real grounded. And I didn't even realize this guys, but like I've been getting this like sense of anxiety around when the hell am I going to be able to leave the house? When can I go do things? Like, when can I go to the beach? I want to go to a bar again. And by meditating and by doing yoga, it's actually helped me kind of put those, those thoughts into perspective and say, I can't control this. It really doesn't matter to me. And yeah, I mean, it matters, but at the same time, like it doesn't matter in the present moment today. So when that time comes is when I'll be ready to go out to the bars and I'll be able to go out and sit down at a restaurant and eat. But until that time comes, I'm going to continue moving and tackling the same things that I'm, you know, working on today. Another thing that I've been doing, guys, is reading. And I mean, I've always been the first person to say, like, I hate reading. I'm not a big fan of reading. I don't have the time to read. I'd rather watch a TV show or listen to a podcast or listen to an audiobook or something of that sort. But I didn't realize how fun reading was. And I've been reading a couple books. I'm still reading Joe's book, The Power of Ore, which I mean is just freaking awesome. And I'm trying to actually enact that and enable that in my life. And the other book that I'm reading is called Private Empire by Stephen Cole. And it's all about the oil crashes and how ExxonMobil has kind of had their rise to power. And it's super interesting. And the one thing that I found, guys, is that I, and let me start with this. I don't typically dream at night. And my roommate will be the first person to tell you when I dream, they're very vivid. And it's typically like one to two times a year. And again, like I'm sure I dream, but I just don't remember them when I wake up. But now that I'm reading, I've been having a lot more dreams and they've been a lot more creative and they've been really weird, but cool at the same time. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I see it as a good thing, but the reading and overall has helped me just kind of learn more about different things and feel educated and, and really help myself kind of set together some plans on you know my career and my development moving forward. And then lastly, this I'm really pumped about. So as you guys know, I love my alma mater, Stetson University, fantastic university. And they hit me up about uh, two weeks ago on a web and asked me to do a webinar. And I agreed. As you guys know, I'm working on my book. It's all about 
starting your career, landing your first job and, and kind of getting started off on the right foot. So what I'm doing is I'm actually giving a webinar next week at Stetson University. Obviously it's not at Stetson because it's virtual. And I'm going to be talking all about landing your first job and starting your career off on the right foot. And what I'm going to do from there is I'm actually going to release it to the public. I think you guys need this content. And quite frankly, I don't think I've done better content than this webinar that I'm pulling together right now. And I'm really pumped to get this out to you guys. And we're going to do some type of promotion. I haven't really necessarily figured out all the ins and outs on it, but just know that you're going to be able to get your hands on it if you can't actually attend the webinar because it is, it's great content. And I think it really truly kind of brings together my full experiences and how I've been able to move and groove throughout you know, corporate America and just my career and helps kind of put things into perspective on my tips and how I would go about it if I were to look back, you know, hindsight 2020 and having a little bit more of a, let's call it a linear career path. So with that being said, let's get Melanie in here. I'm pumped about today's episode. Melanie is a freaking rock star and she's going to take us a little bit, tell us a little bit more about her career journey and what she's been doing at Google. Y'all, as I mentioned, I got my best friend, my girl, Melanie Stewart, on the line with us today. Mel, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me back. No, we're really happy to have you back. And guys, as you know, Mel's been kicking ass at Google. Nothing's changed. I mean, literally, Mel's just been moving around. She lives in Chicago now with her beautiful wife and still kicking ass at Google. So, Mel, can you just give us a little bit of insight into Google and what it's like working for such a big tech giant? Sure. I mean, where, I mean, honestly, where to start? Um, so I moved into Chicago, which is the, the third largest office in the U.S., um, behind, you know, headquarters in Mountain View, California and New York. So coming from a smaller satellite office into one of the larger offices definitely presented a unique opportunity. And feels much more like a big company now. Um, so people were in, were in your old office. What'd you say? How many people? Yeah. In Ann Arbor. So when I joined, there were right around probably 500 and I was there for two years and it doubled. Um, and now they're building a whole new building and it'll be just growing year on year for the next five That's years. Crazy. That's crazy. And how many people would you say are in your Chicago office? Chief. Um, I don't even know. A couple thousand. I don't know. We just built a new uh, building for Google Cloud as well. Uh, So it's just, it's massive now. Yeah, no, I get that. When I was transitioning from Starbucks to Nestle, I went from, I just, I basically did the opposite of you. I went from 4,000 people in my office to maybe a couple hundred. And Mm -hmm. the feeling of it is so different, right? And I, I would say that when you're in a smaller office, you have more of that like family feeling, definitely doing a lot more happy hours and and that might just be like a small Seattle thing, but it just like, I felt like I was seeing people every day. Like I was saying good morning and like, I wasn't necessarily seeing different people, which to me I didn't like, because I was like, I kind of like seeing different people, different faces and like also having different opportunities to maybe network or just have a coffee with someone. And it's Starbucks for me. Like when I was there with the 4,000 other people there, I'm walking through floors like two to seven and there's, I'm running into new people every day. You know what I mean? Like not only am I seeing the GM and the CEO, like every once in a while, but there's people who are senior leadership or mid-level management, or even like entry level. We're all just walking around having a good time. And I used to meet so many people just walking up in the cafe and being like, 
hey, like I overheard you talking about Starbucks rewards. Can you, you know, would you mind grabbing a coffee and talking about that? Would you say that you have a similar experience kind of just vice versa? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're clearly an extrovert. So it's funny when you're like, I love 4,000 people. I mean, for me, it presented unique challenges because I am naturally an introvert. And so a small office was comfortable for me. And I, I networked. I have a good you know, sense of community and family at the small office. So when I came to Chicago, it was really an exercise in putting myself out there. And you're right. I mean, we have 12 floors, now two buildings. So that's 24 floors of people doing all kinds of different things. Um, you know, it's now being tactical for me about how do I engage and uh, how to be present. Um, even something like not walking around with your headphones, right? And actually interacting with people was something that I like coached myself into doing. And now you're right. You run into directors, um, you know, upper management all the time. And it's now about how do you manage yourself throughout the day in order to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, I love that. And let's let's dive a little bit deeper into that because I'm really interested in how you kind of went about that, knowing that I am so naturally extroverted that it, it comes pretty natural to me when I just kind of like introduce myself to people or I feel awkward waiting in the line and nobody's talking because I'm like, uh, you know, like I should be saying something, right? And that's just me naturally. But when, you, when you're coming into, you know, the bigger office, like you said, two buildings, like maybe 1,200 people, or I mean, way more than that, most likely. How did you kind of go about like saying, okay, I need to be very intentional about walking around with my headphones off or talking to people and kind of taking yourself out of that comfort zone? So luckily, I think I had the right opportunity at the right time. So I came into Chicago um, as a, a lead uh you know, our LGBT organization and involved in a couple other like sales orgs internally um, that weren't really existent in Chicago, honestly. So uh, that was something that was important to me. And day three of the office, I was like, hey, like, who can I reach for this? And stuck my neck out and actually was you know, successful in meeting some people and getting the organization off the ground. So um, I think that was kind of the first thing is figuring out what you were involved in and what really matters to you and sticking up for that. Um, that opened a lot of doors. In terms of this, how to present yourself in the office, that, that came down to more of a, who do I want to be? And what is, how do I want people to know me, right? I mean, you can call it a personal brand, you can call it just you, right, being a, a professional. Uh, and part of that was I wanted to be present and I wanted to take advantage of opportunities, even if they were uncomfortable for me. So yeah. um, a lot of that was, well, if I am at a, Google calls it a micro kitchen snack bar, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you're there and someone's there, talk to them, right? Like it was honestly just a, be a person in the world, right? Like have these conversations and, and more and more it comes to, all right, now we're connecting with different people. I'm going to go and grab lunch at a different cafe. Like, you know, I'm going to put time on people's calendars. Like, I think you just have to put yourself out there no matter what, even if it's not your favorite thing to do. Yeah, no, 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 I get that. And the one thing I really love about that too, is just kind of being intentional of starting conversations, right? And just being a human at the end of the day, like I think a lot of people like to connect with other people because they have something in common or they want to learn something, something else from somebody. Right. And I feel like when you're in the same company as somebody else, it's almost the perfect scenario because that one thing you have in common is already that you work for the same company, right? Or even if you're just meeting someone who's a consultant, who's on, um, on campus for the day and you're saying, what's up? I've met so many people who are like, yeah, I actually don't work for Starbucks, Nestle or Nordstrom, but I'm working there as a consultant right now. And it's like, oh, well, I'm super interested in what you're doing because you're only here for a short amount of time, but you're going to do a lot of work. So mm -hmm. 
let's have a coffee or let's just sit down and let's chat right now. You know, you have five, 10 minutes to get to know each other. And I can, I, I really do. Uh, I was going to say condemn, but I don't think that's the right word. Um, but I think that's, I think it's really awesome that you were able to say like, you know what, first off, I'm going to take some things that I've done outside of work and bring that in, which is the LGBTQ work, right? I'm going to start this organization. And I even think I met some of your friends when I met you guys out in Chicago last time I was there and they were, they were awesome. But when I was at Nestle, I actually got to go out to our corporate office in Arlington for shoot. It was like two days, but I met with everybody from the different campuses who worked on the different ERGs. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you that the LGBTQ um, like ERG had, and when I say ERG, I mean employee resource group had the tightest bond and also had their shit together more than any other. (laughs) They were like, Oh, we have this event planned and we have this event planned. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And I was like, we, um, we have our name and our tagline. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going to have our logo by the end of next week. We've been throwing around ideas for events, but I don't think an event is actually going to happen for the next like four or five months because we're all just so busy. And, but I say all that because there's a lot of things that a lot of people have in common, whether you're in like the smaller campus or the bigger campuses. I mean, when you think about it, and you said this earlier, you have two new buildings, a crap ton of people who are working on all these different things, right? Whether it's Google Cloud, whether it's Google Entertainment, whether it's YouTube, I'm sure there's a a little bit of YouTube that goes on in Chicago too, right? Like there's a million different businesses that they could be working on. But that one thing that could get that conversation started that you guys at least have in common is that the fact that you work for the big parent company of Google, right? Yeah. And it's like, hey, I'm taking my break the same time you're taking your break or I'm just taking a walk. Let's have a conversation about this. And- yeah, I think the, the biggest learning was just how do you be a human at work, right? Like, I think that's, I've seen it in Business Insider, et cetera, but it, that's the, been the connecting piece. And we're all trying to get a leg up, get promoted, do whatever else. But if you can't be a person, right, you can't actually connect on a human level with people, I don't believe you'll be successful. So that's really where all this came from. Well, no, well, I agree too, right? And if you want to be successful, like, believe it or not, people have to like you, right? <laughs> like, athlete, like, and you know this too, playing college lacrosse, like, our coaches always taught us, like, if people like you, then you're doing something wrong, right? Then, like, you're not beating them, you're not outworking them, all that stuff of that sort. And when you work in a big corporation, it's interesting. And I find it real interesting because as much as you're trying to get that leg up on other people, you still have to be successful as a team. Mm-hmm. So you have to be an all-star and a group full of all-stars, right? You're working at, at a Fortune 500 company with some of the best talent that people can find, not only in the United States, but in the globe. And you're competing with them, but you're also competing with your competitors. But what's more important is beating out your competitors because the company wants to win at the end of the day. So it's like a fine finesse of being able to put yourself in those right opportunities to be able to lead and also be seen. And like you said, you want to be known as being present in all meetings, presentations, no matter where it was. Like Mel is always there. She's listening. If she has something that's important to say, she'll speak up and she'll say it. Right. And people know you as that because that's who you are. That's your personal brand but I'm kind of talking in circles, but I'm all coming back to say it's all important because it's just such a fine finesse in corporate America to be a winner, winning by your, in your, in your own role and, and excelling at that. Also putting yourself in those right opportunities to be able to move up, but inevitably serving that longer term goal, which is helping the company win. So that way you can shit, get your bonus when it's bonus time and make sure that you're still getting your salary and still keep your job. 
you know, and move up at the, at the same time too. So I, I hear you because it's, it's a fine finesse, but you're fucking killing, you're killing it. So I gotta, I gotta take that out real quickly, but um, <laughs> you're killing it. And the one thing that I find interesting, and this leads into my next question, Mel, is that you are naturally an introvert, right? And that's not a bad thing in any way, shape, or form. I mean, we are good friends for that. I was at your wedding, and I swore the way that you were dancing that you were an extrovert, <laughs> right? But knowing that sales is more of kind of, I would say, an extroverted role, at least for people naturally. Natural People naturally who are extroverted are like, I can get into sales. I think about Thomas, my, my roommate, and all the time he's like, yep, nope, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm going to do sales my entire life. You know what I mean? And that's not a bad thing either because sales is a great industry. Could you talk a little bit about what it's like to work in sales at a tech company, especially for a company like Google? I don't think a lot of people even know that the majority of the revenue comes from, you know, ad sales and tech sales uh, when working for a company such as your sort. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you compare the the ad revenue to five years ago, it's less, but it's still over 80%. So um, to say that Google isn't... Right. So to say that Google isn't an advertising company, I mean, eh, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, fine line there. Um, you mentioned sales as an introvert. I think that's an interesting question. And then we can get on to sales at Google. I think what makes me somewhat successful or teed up for success in a sales career as an introvert is because I can listen and I'm a good listener. Right. So I'm willing to not take up space in a room. Right. And let clients speak hash out their ideas, show me what they actually need. So that way when I do speak up and sell to them, it's something that lands, right? And and fits into their strategy versus um, I've seen, I've been in rooms where people, salespeople want to own the room and own the conversation and they don't take the time to listen. Um, and it really does not set them up for success. So I will say it's, it's challenging um, and a little bit exhausting, but very rewarding. And I think you can play to your strengths even as an introvert in a sales career. But that aside, sales at Google, um, it's an interesting space because we own the product, right? So think search, programmatic, display, YouTube, all of it. Um, But we also fit into a landscape that's evolving day over day, whether that be in things that we can't control like regulation or um, ITP, you know, when Apple put out their cookie list policy, for lack of a better term, right? Like the, a lot of these things we can't control, a lot of these things we can. Um, but me as a salesperson, I'm not the one making the product, right? And a lot of the time, I'm not ahead of our updates. So it's like, how can we best know what's going on? So the long story short is knowledge comes first uh, based on what we're selling, us at Google. Uh, what the industry is doing. I work in travel right now as a vertical. So um, I'm constantly reading Skift and all these other you know, travel updates just in terms of what's happening in the industry. What are the big players doing? And then finally, digital, right? Landscape, what regulations are coming down? How can we best react? How can we be forward thinkers? How can we be thought leaders? And when we are successful in selling as a team to our clients, it's because we are thought leaders and we are consultants Right. And we know what we're good at and we know what our competitors are good at. And a lot of the time it's less about us selling X dollars and more about saying, here's a mindset shift. Right. Like, here's how you need to think about advertising. And here's how Google fits into that puzzle. Right. With your other stack of competitors. Right. Because you need to be using all of them, too. Um, And we look at the business holistically 
And that's when we're able to win and scale. So I think knowledge is the first piece and consultant kind of methodology is the second. No, I think I think that's awesome. And I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because we were talking about this a little bit earlier, right? And looking at the business holistically and really helping change your client's mindset to help them inevitably not only be successful today, but set themselves up for success five, 10, 15 years down the road, right? Because like you said earlier, the the landscape is shaped is is changing every single day, if not every single hour, right? There are different things that come out in the news, whether you're watching Adweek or CNN, and you're like, oh wow, like there's a lot of stuff going on in travel about Boeing, right? And their brand new airplanes. I don't know a lot about travel, so I'm not going to act like I'm going to speak too much on it. But um, you have to understand what's going on with the big guys like Boeing and their airplanes, and then you have to know what's going on with within a ver- the travel vertical itself. And knowing on what's going on with, you know, I'm just going to say like the Expedia group and maybe like hotels.com and like all these big players that play online. And then you also have to keep up to date with what's going on in your own industry, which is the tech services industry. Mm-hmm. And know what's going on at Google and Facebook and Apple and all of your guys' competitors because you have to be proactive in the thinking, right? And my question for you is how do you stay so proactive and so on top of it while managing not only that and the ERG stuff that you're doing at work to help, you know, I mean, you're, you're very successful in what you do and you are very on top of everything of what you do. And I'm really curious to know how you continue to stay on top of it all the time and continue to live a a fun lifestyle too, right? Like you and Mackenzie definitely do some fun stuff out on the weekends and after work that I'm like, damn, I need to go go back to Chicago and go hang out with you. (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'm the most fun person in the whole world, but that's okay. We can get to that later. Um, I do think, you know, there's a couple of things with that. In terms of product knowledge, a lot of it is stay in your lane and delegate when you can. So uh, like for me, knowing the product really well is part of, like that's part of my core role, right? And staying up on top of industry trends and kind of competitive knowledge, that's definitely wrapped up in it, but that's a plan B, right? Like we have our teams are set out that each of us on the team, there's what five people, four people, we all kind of have a specialization. Um, so I'm all in on everything that I need to know, right? And I'm clear with the rest of my team in terms of, hey, like, where am I going to fit into this? What do I need to know? How can I be best prepared? And I lean into that. So right now for me, that's, I need to know everything I need to know about product knowledge in depth on what my companies are doing specifically, um, any new updates, Google centric, that's where I'm at, right? And I have the industry stuff in the background. My, you know, other counterparts, my team, they zoom out 100% and they just look at industry landscapes tech adoption, et cetera. How can we future-proof your business? So I learn a lot from them, but when I, I know that I need to be 100% prepped on my where my role fits into the puzzle. Um, does that make sense? No, that does make sense because it's basically, it's dividing and conquering together, right? And, and truly taking on the aspects of a team, right? Yeah. You don't expect your point guard to be dunking on the, on the center, but you also don't expect your, point, your center to be taking the ball down the court. It's like staying in your lane, knowing exactly what your role is on the team, right? You don't need to have necessarily the product knowledge, but like you said, or vice versa, you need to have the product knowledge, but you also need to be up to date on the trends, but you have other teammates who have priority, the priorities flipped where they're like, I need to be up to date on all the trends. Mel's my product person. I'm going to go to Mel if I have product questions. Mel's going to come to me if she has industry questions mm-hmm. and we'll attack it as a team. And then I'm sure when you guys go out to meet with your clients, it's not only you or just your account strategist or your account manager, it's you guys as a team. And then I'm sure 
if there's a question that you can't answer, it's like, hey, Jim, hey, Mel, hey, Lindsay, can you help me figure this out? Because, or it's like, hey, I may not be the best person for it, but Mel's our, our expert when it comes down to the product, and I'll let Mel speak to that, right? And you guys can kind of move and shake of that sort. And I think that's the best thing you can do is exactly what you said. If someone asks you something you don't know, like don't make up something, like have your resources ready. And that's something that our team has done a good job at is we have our, our, you know, marching orders, right? Our plan B, C, D, our specialist, our, you know, go to market people, our product people. And it's, you know, everything is very collaborative. And so that's one thing I will say, working at Google, Google's hyper collaborative and standing out. Um, in that environment, it, it can be challenging, but I think as long as you're able to really master your core role, whatever that is, uh, you'll stand out, right? No matter how much ownership is shared amongst the team. Yeah. And I, I think one other important part of that too, that I learned kind of, I mean, I got kind of my hand slapped uh, while working was to your point, right? Like I was in a meeting one time and I didn't know an answer and I stumbled and I the last thing that you want to do is kind of look bad in front of people, right? Like, and a lot of people aren't really ever going to remember that instance where you had that one slip up or that one bad time, but it weighs down, at least on me, a lot more where I'm like, shoot, I was just not as good as I could have been in that meeting. But the lesson that I learned was not being afraid to say, you know what, I don't know that right now, but I'll follow up with you. And then actually following up, right? Like, hey, I don't know. Let me go talk to some people. I'll have an answer for you by in a couple of days or I'll have an answer for you by tomorrow or end of day, whatever it may be. And by hitting that deadline too, right? Mm-hmm. Like follow up is very important, but being confident in yourself enough to say, you know what? I don't know that, but I'll go find out and I'll follow up with you and I'll let you know. You might not even get a response back to your email after you follow up, but that person will at least appreciate it. And yeah. I, I just remember like my VP one time, I didn't have an answer for him. And we argued in a meeting one time, we went back and forth and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call the team. I'm going to find this out. And this is when I was working in a, um, it was like a consulting role. So I was like consulting like our sales, our field sales teams. And um, I was like, but I'm going to call them. I'm going to find this out and then I'll let you know. And I ended up being right in the argument. And that's not my point here, but I followed up with him later on. He didn't respond back to me for like, you know, five or six days. And then he caught me in the um, hallway and he was like, Hey, I was wrong. I appreciate you following up, but you know, I was, I was also wrong. So I apologize. And I was like, no, nah, it's, it's, but that's what we had that, that healthy banter for back and forth. Right. But because I had the confidence enough to say, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to wait this out. I'm going to go figure this out. And the, the, the truth, like the truth, truth. And then we'll just rock and roll from that. But, A good answer is always worth waiting for, in my opinion. Uh, like, Yes, fast follow, but like if you have to talk to a couple people, a couple specialists, get a, a good POV and then send, that's going to be so much better than a long thread of confusion, you know, anytime. I agree. I agree. And one thing that I also want to kind of touch on real quickly now that you touched on, you know, two points back was shifting mindsets and shifting your client's mindset. When I think about like, you know, traditional businesses nowadays, they are definitely, they, they value tenure. A lot, right? And there's a lot of CMOs, CEOs, COOs, you know, uh, CPOs, whatever it may be, who have been within companies for a very long time. I think Starbucks just hired a new CMO who's been at Starbucks for like 16 plus years. Fantastic. But the one thing that I realized with a lot of people who have been tenured and rolled or within a company for a very long time is they start thinking in one way and they, and, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, right? Like hiring people from external is always a good thing because they bring different mindsets, but they could also really shake up the groove of a, 
of a business. But when it comes to you guys and kind of shifting the mindsets of your of your clients and of the, these big companies, how have you guys been able to really do that? And like, what are some of your top tips to help just shift people's mindsets just in general, knowing that, again, it's 2020, we live in a different day and age than it has been in the last, you know, 10 years, let alone the last five years. Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, two things really come to mind out of that. Uh, two themes, rather, in terms of shifting mindsets. I think the first is lead with data, right? So, of course, from Google, that would be my first answer. But, um, you know, we do a lot of third-party research with Bain and some, you know, BCG, some big consulting firms, and especially in travel. And it's been really helpful, right? Bringing to more traditional companies saying like, hey, you know, there are a million and one touch points before a purchase, right? And here's some data take a look at this case study. There's big travel brands in there. There's small travel brands in there. They, you know, these are your people. This is what your user's doing. Just look at it. And then here, you know, we'll follow up. So not leading with a sales pitch, but leading with something that's actually informative and, and valuable um, has really been helpful to build the relationship. And then you can come back around and say like, hey, remember when we talked about that? This is why you need data-driven attribution, whatever we're trying to sell. Okay. So Leading with data and leading with research um, has been very helpful in starting to shift those mindsets. And the second is helping to create a culture of testing. So the the idea of test and iterate has been very helpful. Um, I would never go to a client and say, shift 100% of your TV budget to YouTube. That makes zero sense for anyone involved. Like we will fail, right? And they will fail. Um, but saying, hey, listen, one in 20 advertisers or advertisements on TV in 2020 will be election-based, right? You can't afford that. And your TRPs won't go as far. You should test in your target DMAs. Let's see how far your dollars go there. That just is more responsible, right? And it allows for them, like clients, to start putting their neck out for some of this uh, institutional change versus us just saying, you should do it because we're Google, goodbye, right? That never works. Making them a partner and starting to create a testing environment has been very, very helpful. Okay. And it sounds almost like your relationship with them, while not only does it come from, you know, your awesome personality and being able to talk to other people, but it comes from a grounding of like knowledge-based and truth-based conversations, right? We're talking yep. about stuff that I'm not making up. I'm not telling you that 30 million people are watching YouTube TV today and that I own the product and I'm not going to share the data with you. Right. I'm showing you a case study of something that is um, relative to you and your industry because it's people that, you know, people that you might not know. And this is how we've been able to help them by changing the way that they think and also by them adopting our call it like I'm not going to call it guidelines, but our ways of working and now killing it. They're doing they're performing really well. They can't afford to be on TV during the election year as well. But guess what? They can afford to be on Google, they could have display ads, they could have search ads, they could have, you know, they could be on YouTube or YouTube TV, whatever it may be, they can, they can mix their, they could shift their mix around in order to help them stay ahead of the industry. So that way they can continue winning. And that's why we shoot, look at the stock market. That's why some of these travel companies continue to grow year over year. It's because they continue to move with the industry and shift with consumers. And they're now meeting the consumers where they are rather than just putting up a blast of ads and hoping that 20 million people see it, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the core point in all that is how do you become a trusted advisor to your clients and, and lean into that relationship? Because no matter what, how great your product is, if people don't trust you, they're never going to buy it, right? Like people buy from people, like how many times you've heard that? Um, 
it's true. And becoming a trusted advisor to your partners, it's uh, it's a long process, but bringing them valuable insights, things that actually mean transformative impacts to their business, like that's going to move the needle on your relationship. And at the end of the day, that's where you'll win dollars, right? Because you're your opinions, whether you call it an opinion or a sales pitch, you know, then it's considered right versus um, put on the pile of everyone else. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And Mel, we're running out of time here. I promise I'd, I'd keep you short just because I know you should come in. But switching gears just real quickly, you helped my brother immensely when it comes to like preparing for internships. And I, you know, I tell him to call me all the time. And he's like, hey, like, you just shoot me Mel's number one more time. And I'm like, okay, fine. You don't have to talk to me. Um, <laughs> for anyone who's in college or, you know, a young professional who's looking to get into a place such as Google or Apple or Facebook or Pinterest or Twitter or any other big tech company, what would you say would be like their top three, your top three, like tips or key things that they should know? Hmm. Great question. Um, I think focusing on your story is really important. Um, you're never going to know everything and likely you're not going to have experience, right? So what do you have? You have your brand, you have your story, you have what you're about. Um, and a lot of the time that will get you a long way in the interviews is having, um, just a, a strong, you know, identity and saying, this is what I care about, right? Like, or I am a hard worker, like my work ethic is my most important thing, X, Y, Z. Um, so focusing on your story, I think is a big piece. Two, um, don't act like you know exactly where you want to be in five, 10 years. That doesn't mean anything. Whatever job you're applying for, I would highly focus on that role. What are you going to bring to the table? What are you going to get out of that? What are you looking to achieve? Because the worst thing you can do is say, hey, yeah, I know I'm applying for this account manager role, but I really want to be you know, an account executive and all I care is about strategy and I, I don't care anything about the details. This is just a stepping stone for me, right? Yeah. No. Like, what are you going to get out of right now? So I think those two things are big. Um, and then the third, honestly, is more tactical uh, follow up, <laughs> like the fast follow post interview. If you're networking with someone, even if it's just very casual, like coffee or LinkedIn, um, just the fast follow up saying like, hey, thank you so much. Staying top of mind. And what kind of goes naturally into that is use your connections. A lot of the time you'll come out of college, you'll just kind of want to do everything yourself. I know I fit into that. Um, and I didn't take full advantage of my mentors who were like, Hey, you should talk to this person or that person, like your brother. I don't think we had ever met. Right. And he was comfortable reaching out and I am happy to help him. Right. Like, and hopefully now he's going to land this interview, you know, and one thing will come out of the other. So use your people and and definitely be thankful, um, and kind of vocal about that. So those are my three items. I I absolutely love it. I I really love the last one when I was Growing up, my mom always told us, like, it takes a village. And it's funny because she went back to nursing school when we were, I was in middle school, my brother was in elementary school, and she was struggling with, like, calculus and statistics because when you're in your mid-30s, the last time you took that class was, like, 18 years ago, right? Oh, yeah. I was just taking those classes. So, well, I mean, I must have been in high, I was getting right into high school. But while she was going through it, she was like, I need your guys' help. And then when she would get through her courses and she would get through her classes, she would always go like, guys, I'm telling you, it takes a, it takes a village. It takes a village. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to embody that when I was graduating college. And it was more out of necessity than anything else, because I realized when I had a crappy GPA, two, I did not have a, a necessarily a good story for people because I changed my major seven times. 
I'm showing I don't know what I want to do. It's very inconsistent. I need to lean on people who know me as Chase and know that no matter what I do, I'm going to accomplish it because I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. And it took for me to reaching out to my, my father who I had to be, you know, take my pride down and say, Hey dad, I need your help. Mm -hmm. And then also like people within his network where he'd be like, Hey, I have a buddy who lives in LA. I have a buddy who lives in Seattle. I have a buddy who lives in Chicago, whatever. They're willing to talk to you. You here's their number. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, like I got to be the one who initiates this conversation and the one who does it because if I don't, then I'm never know I never know what I'm going to miss out on, and it's actually because of that that I got my job at Starbucks and now I've been able to be relatively successful in my career today because I've leaned on my network so much and my job at Nordstrom I got because of my manager I knew her when I was working at Starbucks we became really close I would even you know argue to say close friends and she was like I need you you know mm-hmm. because you're going to come in here and you're going to shake things up and I know your style. And that's, I love that last tip because of that. And I I truly believe that like, if you lean on your network and you lean on the people who will at least like have those conversations, right? Like not everybody is like, you know, not everybody's like myself where they're willing to be open to have those conversations, but we live in a different day and age. There's LinkedIn. There's so many different avenues to talking to people. And if you're willing to like network and willing to get out there and put yourself out there and actually have that conversation about what it is that you want to do. And you do have to be pretty buttoned up for those. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, again, like you said, on your second tip, you don't have to lie about what you want to or about what you think you want to do in the next five, 10 years, be Mm -hmm. open to different career paths, focus on the now while also being cognizant of like what it is that you want to accomplish in the, in the future. Because I mean, what you're doing now is going to ladder up into what you do. Yeah, absolutely. One thing on that too, you don't even, you don't always have to have something to offer, right? When you reach out, and I, I think that you said, yeah, you have to be buttoned up for those conversations. I totally agree, but you don't have to have something to bring to the table because when you are fresh out of college, you likely don't have something to bring to the table. If I go and talk to my PP, I don't have anything to bring to the table if they don't know, right? It's yeah. it's not even asking for a favor, but people are willing to talk to you because they've been in your shoes. So that was something to learn too. Oh yeah. No, I agree. I remember one of the most, I would say like awkward conversations, but one of the most eye-opening conversations that I had was I reached out to my best friend, Zach, growing up, his dad is the president of like Arby's supply chain company that they own. So he's essentially like a chief officer there. And he, we've been on multiple trips together, right? Like I knew him, like he was like a second dad to me, but I hit him up one time and I was like, Hey, could you just have a conversation about like jobs and career? Like I'm really struggling right now. It's senior year. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not asking you for a job, but I'm asking you for like some help. And he was like, yeah, like let's set up some time. Let's talk. And I felt so awkward at the beginning. He was like, you do realize, like, I'm just trying to help you out. Like you're my son's best friend. Like you're another son to me. Like I'm doing what I I will do whatever I can to help you out. Chase. Like, I was like, I just don't have anything to give. Like you've taken me so many places you've done. And he was like, I'd never thought I'd never once asked for you to give me anything. Like, I wouldn't ask for that because I care about you as a person. I care about your career and I want to see you succeed in what it is that you want in life because I had somebody do the same for me when I was 22 and graduating college. And I think that's, an, like you said, it's a very important thing to remember is that when you're graduating and I, I remember like having these conversations now, it's bringing me back because I remember having like four or five questions kind of like written out for them. And then the conversation would be set up for 30 minutes. We talked for an hour and 15 because they were just enjoying the conversation and I would just be so curious about what it was that they were talking about, knowing mm-hmm. I didn't know shit going into this, right? Like, how do I even apply? 
Well, Chase, you go to the career website and then you hit the apply button. You have your resume. You don't need a cover letter, but you need, and, and right. like, oh, wow. And then they're like, and then I'll go in and I'll do a referral and I'll, and you're like, oh crap, this is how it works. And then you're, the eyes start coming open. You start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and then the interviews become easy. And that's, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, right? But yeah. it's, it's amazing what your network can do for you and what they can open up for you, especially when you're just like willing to like reach out and say like, Hey, I just need a little bit of help this time. Like, can you help me out? It's, I feel like it's almost like when a friend reaches out and it's like, okay, I need relationship help or I need like help with this. Right. It's, it's the same type of feeling where you're like, I'm doing something good, not because I'm getting something out of it, but because of helping somebody else be better in what it is that they, or achieve what it is that they want to achieve. Yeah. And I love your story, right? Because you didn't really have a goal in mind. Like, you know, you needed a job, but you didn't really, because you had to pay for rent, but you didn't know what you wanted to do. So it's not like, hey, I want 15 minutes of your time to talk about getting this role. And, you know, you don't have to know. And that was that was something that I, I really had to learn. Uh, but the best, most pivotal points in my life came from those one-off conversations where I had no clue, right? And nothing to offer. Yeah. Well, let, let me touch on that real quickly, because I find that super interesting when, so one thing that people at Nestle particularly really, I would say, enjoyed about me was the fact that I was willing to set up time with anybody in the company and just sit down and have a normal conversation with them, right? We didn't have to talk about business. And of course, like you start off and it's like, I'm Chase, you know, I'm in this role. This is kind of like my scope of stuff. And then you hear what they have to say. And then I'd always be like, so I like to keep these kind of casual because I'm going to have to see you more than I see anybody else out here. So let's talk about like what you like to do on the weekends or let's talk about what you like to do outside of work. Like, let me get to know you as a person because, and it goes back to, I mean, shit, this goes all the way back to your first point about being a human at work because people just enjoy being around other people who have something in common. They know that other people care about them Mm -hmm. or things of that sort. And I think that goes the same for the whole mentor conversation or the whole reaching out and kind of being vulnerable conversation because I learned that, like, I, I got promoted at this, and I moved organizations, moved from the sales organization over into the marketing organization. And that was because of the relationship I was able to build with people, not only through meetings and showing up and being, you know, good at what I was doing, but by also being willing to just connect and say, like, hey, I don't really know you, but let's sit down and have, have like, a 30-minute conversation over, like, a coffee. And it was never about the fact that like, I wanted to move up. I wanted to move into marketing, but then months down the road, all of a sudden I was like, I think the time is now I've been enrolled mm-hmm. for a year. There's an open position. Like, and I started talking to some people on that team just casually and passing. I'd be like, Hey, so you guys have that marketing associate position opening up. Like if you're, if you're thinking about somebody like, and they'd be like, Oh, Oh, actually, you know what? Like, let me go. And then they went and had conversations. I didn't even interview for the role because they just kind of moved me into it and it was because of the connections I was able to build. And I don't know, I kind of ranted on that one for a little bit, but I think it's just super interesting to be able to, again, network, be vulnerable. And then also not necessarily have like a plan going into it and being curious about what the person has to say, because they are trying to help you and they're not going to give you advice on something that they're not, they're not good at or well-versed at. Right. Like, yeah. First off, you would never call me for relationship advice and be like, Chase, and I'd be like, Mel, you need to hang up and you need to call somebody else because as much as I can hear you vent <laughs> to do or how to fix this, because I don't know. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I'll call one of my married friends. I, I got it. 
Nailed it. Um, but here, one thing on that though, being on the flip side of the conversation, right? The one asking for help, I do think as an introvert, I had to prepare for those conversations. Yeah. And because me talking about my weekend and networking, like that doesn't go together. But so when I when I'm preparing for those conversations or you know, whatever, a lot of it is knowing my skills versus my accomplishments. Like, yes, I graduated early from college. What does that mean? Right? Like, yes, I did X. What does that mean? And how does that translate? Um, so, you know, am I like, what are my core skills and how do I translate that into any role? Sales, tech, marketing, music, whatever you're going to do. Um, and that, that was hard, right? Like when you're making your first resume, you think about it and you're like, I have no experience, but that doesn't mean that you don't have good skills. Right. So even though you haven't done a lot, you still are doing a lot. And how do you actually bucket those? into things that'll move you forward. So, and then when you're having these casual conversations, you can sprinkle in like, you know, your attributes, like your skills, and you're not just rattling off a list of accomplishments. You're saying like, Hey, what am I good at? What actually means something to me? Um, yeah. Well, I think that's, I think that's super important because it's the translation of your accomplishments to skills, like you were saying. And instead of saying, Hey, I was a division one lacrosse player and I was kicking ass when I was on the field and I was kicking ass in school. Instead, you could kind of position it as like, I'm great at time management, right? Like time management is one skill that I have that I'm super excited about because not only was I able to do lacrosse and school on top of it, but I was able to excel in both, right? And then that that leads onto a good conversation that is grounded again in truths rather than it coming off as like, hey, I'm Mel, I'm bodacious, and I, I, I walk with my chest up because I have all these accomplishments. No, mm-hmm. I... I love that. That's a really good point. You know, things like I'm not afraid to fail, like X, Y, Z. Like those are things that will stick out to people. Like no one, I hate, unless you went to Harvard, no one's going to remember what college you went to, right? Like everyone, you know, no one cares. Like no, just truthfully, no one cares. And they won't remember you for that, but they'll remember you for how you position yourself. And um, that's, I think, to your point, right? Like people knew you were right for the role because they know you, right? Like how are you going to then showcase yourself in any interaction that you have? It's, it's really yeah. critical. No, I love that. I love that. And Mel, I hate to do this because this is such oh, a good question. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on today because this was a super insightful conversation. I had four questions listed out and we talked about two of them because we just had such a good combo. I mean, I'm serious. This was this was fantastic. And I'm, I know that the people are going to be so happy that, that you're coming back on. You were one of my most popular podcasts last year. So it's just I'm, I'm, thank you. You're helping me out tremendously. Seriously. No problem at all. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a review. Go ahead and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at underscore millennial way. And check out our website at itsmillennialtalk.com where there's new blog posts and updates. We will see you next Winning Wednesday. Go grab those dubs. This is the Millennial Way, tailoring the next generation of leaders.